Welcome to Malden Reads One City One Book, the companion podcast to the community reading program in Malden, Massachusetts. This year's book is Born a Crime by the famous comedian Trevor Noah. I'm your host, Annie Bennett. Let's get into it. I'm here with Diana Jiang, a committee member for Malden Reads. How are you doing today, Diana? Uh, well, I'm getting a little bit better, but thank you. Great. Glad to hear it. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about why this book, Trevor Noah's memoir, was chosen for this year's Malden Reads? I think part of it was because he's, uh, well, we like his personality. We like his show. We mm-hmm. like um, him. I think it also is was very topical given the way things have gone, you know, certainly with uh, Black Lives Matter and other um, issues of uh, racial inequality in the country. We found, uh, and all of us tried to, uh, the majority of us tried to read all the books or skim them or, you know, do reviews and such. So it's the the uh, selection is not taken lightly. We do uh, a very thorough review. Uh, we liked the book. Uh, we thought it was a good read. We thought that we could build a lot of programming around it. And uh, and as I said, it was just topical. Uh, it was a little different from, you know, we try, you know, we try not to have the same thing all the time. Uh, so this was, uh, it was a fun book. It was a memoir. Uh, it said he's a famous personality. So uh, it was very enthusiastic. And I said, yeah, we should do this. Wonderful. And you mentioned that you thought you could build a lot of programming around the book. And Malden Leeds has released a wonderful and thorough schedule um, for the 2021 season. Would you like to talk about some of the different programming that's going to be offered? Well, um, yes. What we do, uh, we usually have similar types of events, uh, like the mayor does a book reading and book discussion, and then they have a read and dine, which was uh, last Saturday, where we pick a local restaurant. Well, this year we had, usually it's in the restaurant, but this year it was takeout, where you eat and you uh, discuss. Uh, there is going to be a comedy show with Maya May, but please look up in the UMA website or Malden Reads website and sign up because this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we're trying to do, you know, things with comedy. I, I will be involved in sort of a, a memoir telling, uh, which hopefully will have some poignant stories and some fun stories all together. Uh, unfortunately, COVID has sort of uh, tightened the schedule up a, l- a little bit, yeah. as COVID has done with a lot of things. Mm. But I think um, that this book will certainly make its mark. It's a book that, uh, it's not just for anybody, it's for a lot of people. As I said, uh, Trevor Nova is a, a very important personality, so we can appeal to young people we can appeal to not so young people (laughs) um you know we also have a writer's workshop for young people to get involved with so i'm kind of excited that we picked this book is that it's a fairly um not complicated read but i think he uh, says a lot of things that um are poignant and complex and uh, meaningful and fun Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't have to be an English major to understand the book, but you definitely are able to take away a lot, no matter what your educational background is, which is great. Yes. 
Um, so you are a lifelong Malden resident uh, yes. <laughs> and have worked on a number of committees. You're the vice president and the co-founder of the Greater Malden Asian American Community Coalition. Um, you worked with Agent Spectrum. My question is, how did you get involved with the Malden Reads Committee specifically? What was that process like? Uh, well, first of all, among the other committees I, or uh, organizations I'm on is I was the treasurer of MATV, now called UMA. Right. And I've um, previously with Asian Spectrum, I worked closely with, well, I'm going to call it UMA now, <laughs> uh, on their TV show. So I got to know the folks very, very well. And it's a wonderful bunch of people. So I did it. It was a, a long summer of reading very good books. And I uh, got involved with it. And I seem to have stayed. <laughs> wonderful. Um, okay, so over your lifetime, how have you seen Malden become more racially inclusive? And in what areas do you think that improvements still need to be made? Well, I think a lot of changes. Um, when I was growing up, there was maybe uh, five, six families in the entire city that were Chinese. When I graduated from high school, there were four Asians and a couple of uh, African Americans, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. Um, I think there was one uh, substitute teacher who was Asian. The rest were white, and I think there was a, a gym teacher who was African American. Kids don't believe me <laughs> when they see the stock changes wow. um, in that. Uh, now, and it started, the changes demographically started probably uh, mid 70s, late 80s, uh, early 80s when uh, the MBTA uh, opened in Malden Center and Oak Grove. Uh, what was happening was it was Chinatown's loss. They were going through a lot of uh, bad things with robberies and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the housing stock was bad and it was just not a good place to necessarily live in. And uh, people who moved to Malden, the housing stock was good and affordable at that time, uh, easy access to Chinatown. And it was a much better quality of life to live in Malden than it was to Chinatown. Now, as I said, Malden's game is Chinatown's loss right. because uh, it's, you know, Chinatown is, you know, uh, not quite the same as it was before, yeah. but, but the, it, this demographic started to change. And, you know, what sort of happens with a lot of uh, ethnic groups is, you know, a couple of people move in, then they tell their relatives and then they tell their <laughs> families and then they, and then that sort of grows. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a great location. There's 93, there's the T. Uh, housing at that particular time was affordable and it just sort of grew. But I, I think it's it's gone for the better. Now, certainly, um, I think it makes a better community. It makes, uh, that's a, a good, you know, uh, point for in Malden's favor that it is a diverse community that, uh, and I'll say we are able to sort of absorb, absorb all kinds of folks. I think that sometimes services are, and leadership 
not necessarily right there as far as catching up. Um, we and GMAC and other groups are working as far as language access and in inclusivity and mm -hmm. such. We're making strides, it's one step at a time. Right. But I think, you know, we'll get there. Uh, as far as leadership, um, you know, uh, that will, may take a little bit longer. But I think what I, it is good is that our leadership is responsible to the needs of the community as best they can. There's, you know, uh, is that anything perfect? No, but I think, you know, uh, we don't have obstacles like other communities may have. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so now I think we're going to kind of shift the conversation into more specific uh, questions about the book itself and mm -hmm. more of like a reading uh, discussion. Is that all right with you? Sure. Okay, great. So I want to talk a little bit about language. Uh, we talked about culture and diversity and racism, and I think that language has such an important role in inclusion work and so you know Nelson, they talk on page 235 how nelson mandela once said if you talk to a man in a language he understands uh you know you're able to create more of a relationship and a mutual respect so how in the book does trevor use language to connect with people i th that's um a complicated question yeah. i think uh first of all the book is kind of divided in many different ways, certainly in chapters and parts of his life, and also uh, relating to apartheid laws. And he's very specific about those laws and how they relate to him uh, because he knows how to be an entertainer is that this is the laws and the, you know, the legal things and you know, the, uh, the policies, that's kind of all dry stuff but because he's an entertainer, because he has a personality, I think it's easy to relate to how his life had been affected by all these things. There's very tough sections of his life that he's very honest about, but there's also, you know, uh, some funny things, some poignant things, and it's, and it's all relatable. Right. And it's all within the context of living with apartheid. And I think it makes it makes it easier for people to understand, you know, how insidious this system was yeah. and what you had to do if you were a black person to live there. Right. You know? Yeah, it's like the, the messages that he talks about in the book about language are echoed in the way that he presents the book itself, you know, Absolutely. with his uh, personality shining through and his comedic abilities making the book so entertaining. And like you said, how it's uh, juxtaposing these uh, hard, vague laws that, and then the personal experience that came from the people affected by them. Yeah. Um, and so he learned to speak six different languages growing right. up and explains that, you know, under apartheid, having this this coexistence of multiple languages promotes um, division and oppression because it kind of divides all these different cultural groups. Um, how do Trevor and his mother use language to cross these social and even legal boundaries? Um, I mean, we learn about how he describes English as this hierarchical language. If, you're, if you learn that, you're able to make money. And so how do we see in the book about how he uses his different language abilities as a social tool? Um, well, first of all, stepping back, 
you know, we're talking about colonialism and neo-colonialism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, countries in Africa and Asia were not divided by, you know, uh, you know, families or tribes or anything. They were just divided up because that's the way England, France, and whoever wanted it to be divided up. Right. So you have a cultural divide that where people were stuck in the same place but may not have liked each other in the first place. And that kind of keeps people apart and fighting with each other and not fighting the their colonial masters, I guess that's the word, so to speak. And, um, and that has repercussions even to this day, mm-hmm. I think. Um, what I'd like to step back a little bit is what I'm is that how well they were able to adapt. Uh, yeah. These uh, his his mother is a very strong woman. Right. She's smart, uh, and she got a good job. Uh, and you know, even though her marriage table was not a good one, she was able to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, and not so much as language as sort of personality and perseverance and resiliency is what kept them going and to, you know, to being where they are, to being successful, to not giving up and being t- downtrodden. So I would say, yeah, it's more them. Uh, you know, you're looking at Trevor and as a boy, so he's, is he ever going to go anywhere <laughs> with this? He's kind of like a street hustler, but somehow he makes it. And I think his mother being strong and sometimes tough with him has sort of helped. I mean, there's kind of a funny passage where she writes to him, he's kind of, and she keeps on writing, you know, giving passages from the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of funny, but I think, you know, he's writing this because in the end, it meant something to him. So, I mean, that's the way I sort of saw it about, uh, you know, with him. And he did have a strong family unit. And that's important because I think, uh, you know, you're, sometimes you need that. It's not always just yourself. It's, you need some other people to sort of guide you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely a sense of um, dramatic irony almost because yeah. we as the readers, most of us know who Trevor Noah is and that he's become this insanely successful comedian. Yeah. Um, but Trevor, at the time of writing this, does or at the time of um, it, at the time of the stories that he's writing, you know, when he's this child, he doesn't know if he's going to be successful, and so it's interesting going back and looking at that. Um, and, it's, it's, and he's like a regular guy. Yeah, he's a little bit of a hustler with the you know the CDs and all mm-hmm. this other loan things, and he's terrible with girls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he misses his dog. Exactly. <laughs> no. Totally you know, relatable. Oh, absolutely. But is it, what has he got, like, six, seven million followers on Instagram? So he must oh. be doing something right. Really, truly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he going back to the idea of the English hierarchy. So um, on page 54, he says that English comprehension is equated with intelligence and then goes on to explain on page 55 how I learned to use language like my mother did. It became a tool that served me my whole life. Um, And then on page 56 says that language, even more than color, defines who you are to people. Would you say that in modern America, that would also be the case and that these um, color divides are 
obviously extremely stark. And we've seen from the racial justice movement that has propelled so um, exponentially this past year. But my one, I'm wondering if a lot of it can be put down to language too. I mean, especially like anti-immigrant feelings. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think absolutely. Uh, I think I don't have an accent because I was born here. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people growing up were surprised at how well I spoke English. Right. And I think there is a value in, well, I have a Boston accent, I suppose, but if you have a foreign language access, how easily you can be put down. And um, people say, well, I don't understand what he's saying. And when somebody said that to me about a person who was from the Azores, he did have an accent, but he was a brilliant guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people need to sort of slow down and listen to what they were saying. And that, quite frankly, I don't think his accent was that bad. But yes, uh, because you have a, an accent, and let's and not talk about sexy French accents <laughs> or sexy British accents, but if you have an accent in general, you're sort of like um, it's not not yeah. traditionally white accents. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, is that you sort of kind of put down, even though you are a brilliant person, and I think there's a little bit of impatience with that. There's a little bit of assumption that you know because you don't speak perfect English that there's something wrong. Right. And that's not so. And that's something that we need to overcome. I was one time I was in Barbados mm -hmm. and um, we were at some event and one of the people that was working at the hotel said, uh, asked a woman something like what type of drink she want. She turns to me and says, what did he say? <laughs> now, I'm, I'm translating English into English. <laughs> and that's I, funny. You know, why don't you just listen you right. know uh, and i so i think that's a problem as far as the colors um i think there is a problem with how light or how dark your skin i just oh yeah absolutely read, um what is it uh the vanishing half by brit bennett which mm -hmm. i sort of recommend to everybody and i think without giving I have a tendency to give away things so i'm not going to give away but <laughs> okay, <great. laughs> well it's a very good book and so you know if we're all home <laughs> Yeah. pick up a good book <laughs> got it got it you know to value somebody over somebody else just because of this one factor has implications that are not necessarily good right yeah absolutely um yeah. and yeah so we see this idea of language being a a cultural um connector for trevor noah and how he um is able to have a very complex understanding of culture dynamics and, and power from an extremely young age because of his ability to cross languages. And I think we, that we see that, you know, in America today where um, especially people who are bilingual or trilingual and are able to connect with communities and then bridge them together, you know? Um, so for his name, they talk a lot about how the names chosen for Zosa children are usually have some kind of meaning. Um, and his mother's name means she who gives back. Um, his cousin's name is the fixer. Um, but his mother apparently says, quote, um, that his name was had no meaning whatsoever in South Africa, no precedent in my family. 
Um, and it's not even a biblical name, which I found surprising considering Patricia's like strong allegiance to the Bible and uh, religious undertone. So he, he says, it's just a name. My mother wanted her child beholden to no fate. She wanted me to be freed. She wanted me to be free to go anywhere, do anything, be anyone. So how does this mindset um, and this take on the we talked about language, but the meaning behind the words in these languages? How do how do we see that throughout the book and and also throughout life? I think Trevor as sort of like an English name, like the old actor Trevor Howard. Yeah, I think of uh, the Toad from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, and you were saying about, you know, English and I, so I didn't know whether it was in sort of the back of her mind that because Trevor is kind of an English name, right. like maybe that had something to do with selecting it. I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's definitely interesting because we have these very deep and complex understanding of languages. And then his identity is based off of a word that is, by most accounts, considered fairly meaningless and unlike everyone else in his community, is not given this predetermined destiny. And he was um, then became extremely successful. And so it's definitely an interesting thing to think about um, how we set our young people up for success or failure, depending on, you know, not maybe so much the name, but where they're coming from and what kind of language they're able to speak. And it's like, I think that, we as a, a society need to stop necessarily encouraging everyone to learn English and rather try to dismantle the hierarchy of intelligence, quote unquote, that is associated with knowing English. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, you know, English is, oh, I don't have to say that Noah is a very biblical. Yes. <laughs> so maybe she already got the biblical stuff from last week. Yeah, I guess so. She yeah. felt like she checked that box. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I, you know, English has sort of, by de facto, kind of become, you know, a universal language. I mean, I've gone to Europe. I wouldn't know a word of Icelandic if my life depended on oh, it, but God everybody no. knows English. <laughs> right. But the fact is, um, the world is changing, and as China gets, you know, more wealthy and more influential. Uh, there's a billion people there that speak Mandarin, and at some point, uh, that will have to be learned by others if they want to do business in China. Uh, but yet, as I said, eventually, um, you know, there there will be a need for bilingual education. I, I think that's a little bit lacking in. U.S. curriculum yeah. right now. I mean, most people that I've met from who went to school systems in other countries are able to speak multiple languages. But yeah. we have kids in America who've taken Spanish one four times and still can't <laughs> get past the basic greetings. Um, yeah. I know that I had a, a layover in Johannesburg, and so I've briefly been to South Africa. And for me, like trying to learn the local language was kind of like it was it was fun it was an activity whereas for these people actually in the community learning english is a survival skill and so it's it a, it's a huge mark on american uh and white privilege that we're able to treat language as this like oh this class or this um like fun hobby to pick up whereas for other people it, it's a survival skill you know absolutely actually that's a great way of uh of uh putting it because um 
you know, when people go to different countries, they'll say, well, I'll pick up Rosetta Stone. Or, yeah. You know, those <laughs> Duolingo. Guys, you, know, those, you know, those apps on your phone that mm-hmm. you can try to say, you know, where's the toilet or, or whatever. Exactly. And, uh, but yeah, it's, you're right. Uh, I, if you stuck me in the middle of Hungary, I, besides hand signals, right. I wouldn't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, we just need to know that is that if you want to learn another culture, you really need to learn their language. Yeah. So I think that that comes from a, a need to reinvent some of the American education system and also the way that we think about our own language superiority. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because English is not even the easiest language to learn. Um, like it, it, it is only so widespread because of colonialism. And when then we continue to enforce these ideas by um, villainizing and ostracizing immigrants, people with accents, et cetera, like we talked about. Well, this is also is English is in English. I mean, we have slang words that are different and colloquialisms that are different. I mean, mm-hmm. what I say in Boston may be different from what's in New York. And oh, I'm- yeah. I'm from Maryland. And there's so many words I got up here. that I, I was like, I'm the, on the same side of the same country and I still get confused. Yeah. Uh, so it meant somebody trying to come in and uh, and just sort of learning what people are having different colloquialisms right. that are all on the same eastern seaboard. Yeah. Um, bringing it back a little bit to Malden, within your work with all these different Asian coalitions and um, Asian American groups within Malden, what do you see a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with uh, language barriers and ostracization within this community? I think there is. Um, I think yes, that uh, there's uh, a lot of things are complex. Mm-hmm. And people don't know what it means if you're trying to deal with the bureaucracy. Yes. Uh, I think part of the reason that I got started was uh, people have a bill or a water bill and they didn't know because why it was so high, who you're supposed to talk to. Right, And right, sometimes yeah. these things, where you're supposed to go doesn't necessarily make sense. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a traffic ticket, well, you go to the treasurer's office and that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but that must be super confusing. It's confusing for a native speaker to navigate. I can't even imagine. And and for somebody who doesn't speak English is trying to navigate with what you think is a simple question. So that is a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of it is just the bureaucracy anyway. Right. Uh, I think... um, Unfortunately, in the U.S., and it's not just government, there's forms. Yeah. And there's little tiny print, and they don't say, you know, what's your address? They'll say something like, what is your domicile? Right. Or you'll go to the post office, and they'll say, uh, uh, you know, you know, they won't say, well, how fast, you know, when do you expect it to arrive? said when do you want it to get there yeah (laughs) there's sort of like a bureaucratic talk yeah no they're definitely a jargon that's hard to navigate um not that it's uh comparable at all but um my actually my great great something great grandfather um was immigrating from poland to england um and his name was benjamin schwartz and when 
he was filling out the form to get here. It said like last name, first name. And he thought it said first name, last name. And so his name was legally switched from Benjamin Schwartz to Schwartz, Schwartz Benjamin. And then um, in order to protect ourselves from anti-Semitism, we changed it from Benjamin to Bennett to sound more Anglo-Saxon. But it's like this has been a, a problem for, for centuries with trying to navigate these forms. And I mean, people's whole identities can be switched around. Well, that's actually with Chinese names. Your last name was first and your first name was last. Right. So for the longest time for my father, didn't know what his last name was. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's so interesting. Yeah, so it was Zhang Shai Dun. Dun was his first name, so it was always Mr. Dun. Mm -hmm. Wow, <laughs> and interesting. Then, well, now I'm Diana Zhang. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I mean, with a, a clerical error, my last name and my, my family's name was completely changed, which is so interesting. And it, it's um, unfortunate, but that happens a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, clearly, uh, language is playing a huge factor within our circles, our communities, and also the world at wide. And it definitely had an impact on, you know, Trevor Noah's upbringing and how he's been able to make himself so successful. Um, so we are just about out of time. But is there anything else that you'd like to add about um, anything the, of any of the stuff that we've talked about today? No, I think for your viewers or readers or what, um, <laughs> I strongly recommend uh, reading the book. It's, an, it's a fairly quick read. Mm. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I also, uh, if what? I can plug Malden Reads, yes. uh, got a, a great crew of people. We do a lot of work. Um, our events are a lot of fun and quite frankly, thought provoking and fun at the same time. But yeah, do try to get to read the book because I think you'll enjoy it. Yes. Um, so hear that listeners. So read Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. And then also what was the other book that you recommended? Well, uh, that was called uh, The Vanishing Half by Brit it's not yeah. on anybody's list it was just sort of as we were talking a personal recommendation if you will personal recommendation Great. i have lots of recommendations and if you get tired of netflix read a book yeah there you go get, get outside read a book yeah well um but and thank you for having us and uh, i wish you the best of luck thank you so much i will meet you in person yes that would be lovely okay so thank you so much diana have a great day okay Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. For 11 years, Malden Reads has been exploring the answer to the question, what if all of Malden read the same book? You can check them out at maldenreads.org. That's M-A-L-D-E-N-R-E-A-D-S.org and follow them on social media. And while you're there, check out the personal greeting to Malden from Trevor Noah on the set of The Daily Show.